Blog Talk Radio. I've been married for 23 years. The traditional gift is brass. The modern gift is surviving another year. I'm Brett Singer. This is my show. Hey, 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 Brett Singer Radio. Oh, yeah, Brett Singer Radio. I'm not calling it Brett from the Bunker anymore because things are open, man. Things are open and fun and happening and cool. Oh, yeah, baby. It's exciting. This is, you know, this is great. This is great. So we're going to be joined by Al Martin. Let me just get him on the air. Al, are you there? Yes, I am, Brett. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing fine. Finally, open up, so I'm doing much better. <laughs> well, that is that is what I figured. That is, and that is what I want to talk about. So, I mean, how did you feel when you first saw clubs were allowed to open? Well, you know, it's like um, too little, too late type of scenario. It's like, yeah, thank you very much, but maybe we should have been open a, like a month or two earlier with restaurants and other businesses. But, you know, it's it's a mixed thing. I guess we kind of need the time to, like, start the engines again. But it also would have been nice if he kind of gave us a break on the curfew. I have no issue with the 33% if that's what it takes to start. But um, I certainly would have loved, you know, um, a, a 12 midnight or a 1 a.m. curfew instead of 11 o'clock because, you know, besides being opened up at a reduced capacity, we also can't do our late shows. And that's, oh, I that didn't really realize is, that. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah, we. You know, at Greenwich, we lose not all. You know, Greenwich thirty-three percent is only twenty seats. Wow. And then, so twenty seats, and then we lose the late show. You know, so there you go. And lest anyone think those shows uh, are not are not attended, they are. I mean, I've done a Sunday Sunday night at eleven, and there's people there. Yeah, I mean, at Broadway we do. Uh, you know, we average maybe Sunday to Thursday fifteen customers each show, but on Friday you'll have about sixty people at the eleven o'clock, and you know, thirty people at ten o'clock. So that's ninety customers lost, and then. On Saturday, you'll have uh, a lot of times a hundred people at at uh, eleven o'clock and wow. at ten o'clock. You know, another uh, seventy people. So you're talking about forget the thirty three percent capacity. You're talking with the curfew. The curfew is hurting us more than the capacity because a lot of times uh, on the weeknights, thirty three percent is fine. You know, it's not. It's a almost a 200-seat room, so, you know, on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you don't need more than, you know, 60 seats anyway. So it's the curfew that's the bigger killer. Interesting. That's really interesting. Is there a date on when that's going to open up, or is it all is it all kind of nebulous? Well, um, he's already uh, – the governor's already opened up uh, restaurants, uh, uh, I believe. I think restaurants – I'm not positive. Let me – I know he's he's uh, lifted the curfew for bowling alleys, casinos, 
um, other other big things, but has refused right now to do it on 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 small venues like comedy clubs, cabarets, and small theaters. I don't think it impacts theaters as much because. Quite frankly, they're done by 11 o'clock anyway. The only businesses that are really hurt by this is our business. Um, I, I mean, I don't know about restaurants in New York. Do they have to close by 11? Or because I'm down in Florida right now for another few weeks. Uh, I'm not sure. I actually hadn't heard about that, so I don't know. I mean, but even if they. Let's say, I mean, the only one that that would be a problem for would be a bar. I mean, a restaurant closing at 11 is not such a big deal. You know, they're probably right, just happy right, to right. be able to have so, people inside. You know, they're, they're, they've been, you know, struggling just trying to keep people, at, you know, even in the, the, the brutal cold, they were doing outdoor dining. So um, I'm yeah, sure they're very happy to be able to bring people is, inside. Yeah, and what's interesting is uh, outside of New York City, things are opened up, you know. Sure. Uh, I think uh, there's no curfew, there's 75% capacity, I think. So it really, it's really getting to be a little bit of a uh, pain already, you know, I mean, the stuff. Uh, I think people are intelligent enough to make their own decisions for themselves. Do you want to go out? Do you not want to go out? Have you had vaccines? Have you not had the vaccine? And then plan your life accordingly without these, you know, listen, I completely understand in the beginning of all of this, you didn't know what, we didn't know what we were dealing with. We didn't know the extent of it. You didn't know, you didn't even know if you touched a bag of groceries, whether you can get this virus. But right. in, in ensuing 13 months, we've learned so much about this and we have so much better an idea that at some point, you need, you know, it shouldn't have to take another governor scandal to force him to open up something just to take the attention away from the scandal. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you, you, know? th- you thought that too, huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, you know, I'm down here in Florida, and things are pretty much open. People are living, except for the idiot spring breakers that, you know, invade places. You know, but you know, you know, to avoid them, it's like, again, making personal decisions. If I drive down the street, I, if I say to my wife, let's go for dinner, we know there are restaurants that her and I should not be going to for dinner because it's going to be, you know, inundated with young people. It's going to have a very lively bar scene. And I don't want to be anywhere near that where people are like, you know, trying to pick each other up, you know, and, and you know, acting irresponsibly. On right. the same token, we know many restaurants that we've gone to during the course of the year that are socially distant, that that are not as busy. We know the right hour to go. We don't go, you know, smack dab in the middle of the night. We either have adjusted and gone, you know, a little earlier to dinner or we go a little later. So, you know, if we show up at a restaurant at 8.30, we know in Florida and some restaurants start to empty out at that hour. We also know we can go at 6 o'clock before the rush. So, you know, again, it's taking personal responsibility, and that allows businesses to be open and allows the businesses to pay taxes that will eventually go to the government's uh, uh, administration. But New York is facing a situation if you suddenly are noticing 
suddenly, after years of resisting it, uh, New York State is considering uh, legalizing marijuana, or if they haven't already, I think they have. Uh, they're, they're thinking about legalizing sports betting because they're desperate for money. They haven't collected a lot of taxes in 13 months. There are a lot of landlords defaulting because of the of, of these uh, rent uh, moratoriums. So, you know, there's been a lot of collateral damage, not only to businesses and landlords, but to the state's uh, bank account. And, you know, they're in, New York's in very serious trouble. Had, it not, had the election gone another way this year, and it went uh, to uh, Trump or, or the Republicans, and they didn't get the bailout money in New York, you, you would have had bloodshed on the streets. It would have been a carnage financially. Hmm. Interesting. That's, uh, that's, that's a good point. I think that's an interesting point. Yeah. I, I, listen, I can, I can only go by I know how much sales tax I collect every year for the state of New York and hand that over to them. If you multiply that by the thousands of restaurants and bars and and casinos that were closed for almost a year, it's uncalculable how much was lost. And it's not like the city uh, laid off uh, a, a large amount of police officers and teachers and fire. They still had to pay their bills. So it makes you kind of wonder where the hell did all the money come from and if there's this money, much money to make the payments on this without collecting, uh, what's been happening to the money when they were collecting all these years? <laughs> you know, I mean, so interesting. It's a mess. Yeah, it's a mess. And then yesterday, businesses such as mine were able to apply for what's called the Save Our Stages grant. Uh, uh, Senator Schumer was very active in getting that passed. And it's interesting because he had all these great press conferences with uh, Jerry Seinfeld, and it was a lot of, of ballyhoo, and they finally, you know, got it passed through Congress. The government, the SBA, had days and days and weeks and weeks to get ready for what was going to be an obvious crush of applications to get some of that Save Our Stages grant money. Now, I looked at the application, and I had a book. It was so complicated and requested so much information that uh, I said I had to hire someone to do it. And they contacted me yesterday and said within one hour of uploading all this information, the entire, there were so many businesses applying for that money the entire system crashed. Right, thanks. and I got it. Yeah, and I got an email at the end of the day saying, "We're sorry, it crashed. It was an unexpected volume. Unexpected volume. You've kept businesses closed for a year, and it's unexpected that they were going to try to get as much of this grant money as possible. I mean, it's like when they administered the PPP almost a year ago, uh, a Paycheck Protection Program." The entire site collapsed, you know, and, and you know, Brett, what's interesting is it is so complicated and so much paperwork, I don't see how they're going to go through all this and be able to give the, the loans. 
I mean, you're talking hundreds of pages of documentation. Who, there's, there's not enough employees in the SBA to go through these applications thoroughly to see if the people are qualified. It's insanity. So, so you think they're, you think they're just going to start handing it out? You think they're just going to be like, okay, you yeah. get a grant, and you get a grant. I mean, it's going to be like Oprah. I think so. I think that's sort of what's going to eventually happen here because it sort of happened that way with the PPP. Now, on the other end of that stick with the PPP, at some point a business has to make a decision whether they're going to apply for forgiveness on the PPP. So starting about six months ago, the government started sending out guidance, uh, you know, uh, different guidance on how to apply for it, what are the requirements for certain businesses. So that guidance kept changing, and the decision was made by a lot of businesses not to even apply yet for the forgiveness because they might get better terms in, in, if they wait a month or two, you know. So, so it, it, people that immediately try to get their loan forgiven might have gotten penalized because they didn't wait longer, you know, so, because the, um, the requirements changed. Right. So, and then finally, you know, I said to my accountant, should I, you know, early this year in January, I said, should I finally apply for forgiveness? I don't want the, the timetable to expire. He goes, no, keep waiting because they, they haven't given the final, final guidance. So what happened was they came out with finally, they probably had so much paperwork, they finally wound up saying, if you took a loan for $50,000 or less, you don't have to send in a whole extensive form. Just send in a one-page form that you're certifying that what you're saying is true, which means they wanted no part of going through all this paperwork. It was just going to be too ridiculous. Uh, so, I mean, that's what goes on with this stuff. And it's, if it was anybody but the government administering it, you, if it was the banks themselves, it would probably be a lot tougher to get these things, but on the other hand, everything would probably run a bit smoother, you know? Right. I hope I no, have I mean, look, your it, audience with this whole explanation of this craziness. No, no, no. It's, inter- it's interesting. I mean, I think it's, you know, look, it's a big bureaucracy, and it was an unprecedented – I mean, there's no precedent for this situation, right? I mean, it's not like there was some other time Correct. when you were forced to be closed for a year and had to keep paying people and had to keep the doors open. So, I, mean, I, guess, I guess not really keep the doors open, but – had to somehow stay afloat long enough until they would allow you to reopen. And, you know, there's no, there's no situation that's like this. That's the, that's the thing that's sort of hard to – that's easy to forget. And you really – you've got to remember that, that, you know, it's not like there was another time that this happened. I mean, you know, and it, it's amazing. After almost a year of being closed, I don't think – if I had – if someone had to ask me, do you think – uh, Governor Cuomo voluntarily allowed you to reopen? I would guess no. You know, we had a lawsuit in, in, in federal court that was right on the verge of being decided. And based on the notes of the judge and based on the questions she was asking the, the, the state, it didn't look like they were going to win that case. Right. So instead of having another loss to go with the 12 you know, 10 or 12 women that have now accused him of weird stuff, he just said, okay, you guys now can open, you know, at 33%. So the latest we've now heard from the governor is 
a few weeks ago, he, I think, allowed restaurants or other businesses to go past 11 o'clock and eliminated the curfew. And his comment was that I will have an announcement later in April regarding, uh, you know, businesses such as ours and if they can eliminate the curfew. So I'm cautiously optimistic uh, if the numbers continue to go down that by May – uh, maybe our curfew will be lifted, you know, and that, great. you know, that will, yeah, that will certainly uh, be a big boost uh, to our business. Um, but, but now you've been at capacity, right? Like, I mean, I, like you've been selling out shows. We sold out Friday and Saturday, pretty much everything. I think we sold out between the two venues. I think we sold out 15 shows. Wow. Now, that that being said, the day after Sunday, uh, Greenwich didn't. I don't think Greenwich did a show, and uh, Broadway. We in bottom line, we haven't had more than twenty or twenty five customers uh, on any show on the weeknights at Broadway, and at Greenwich, I I don't think we've had more than fifteen customers at a show. But, okay. Um, you know that, but that you know that kind of midweek stuff is kind of not abnormal for this time of year, but that's why it sort of highlights that the um, the curfew could be more of an issue for us because what if we were able to do a later show uh, on the weeknights? You know, uh, another ten people a night might have helped. You know. Um, but who knows if we would have gotten it with the state of the subways in New York uh, and the state of uh, crime in New York. Are people going to come out for later shows? That's another unknown, unanswered question as of right now. We just don't, we just don't know the answer to these things. But you want to try. Um, you want to find out. Of it course. sounds like we you know. You want to know if, if whether or not people, whether or not people are still going to be willing to come out late. And I mean, I don't know. I have no idea what tourism looks like. I mean, I know you got a lot. You always did a big, a brisk tourist trade, but I can't imagine that's that's where it used to be. No. Well, tur- yeah, listen. Uh, our traditional busy season is March. And uh, I'm sorry, um, October through March, and. You would say, really, the winter is your busiest time of year? Yes, because in that six-month period of time, New York, as you well know, gets very cold. The weather's not great for outdoor activity. So everybody's sort of forced indoors. They go out indoors, you know. Uh, Christmas time, the single busiest week of the year between Christmas and New Year's. So we've lost all of that, and we won't get any of that back for another six months or so. Right. So now we're opening in what is traditionally the slowest time of year for us because there's no tourism in New York for a number of reasons this time of year. One, everybody is back to school after uh, Passover and Easter recess. They're back to school in one way or another, whether it's remote or in person. So families aren't coming to New York uh, for to visit uh, tourism-wise. Um, and then a lot of people are grad, graduate college, you know, finals and final exams. So that takes up a lot of uh, late April into all of May. So, and in New York City, school is still in session till late June. 
So April, May, and June are traditionally slow seasons for us. The only thing that would bail us out sometimes is after prom shows. But I don't see any of that happening this year now with the oh yeah after prom sh- I forgot about prom shows yeah I want I bet you there's right. not going to be a regular there's probably not going to be a regular prom much less much less an after right, party exactly exactly and then you get into July and August which is a second sort of mini busy season for us but that's only because of tourism and the question right now is will New York have any tourism bounce you know we don't know. Uh, in the long run, I think it will. You know, people always want to visit the city. But without Broadway shows being open, you know, people like to schedule a trip to New York and they go, okay, I'm going to come to New York for a week. I'm going to go to three really good Broadway shows I want to see. You know, Wicked, Lion King, whatever, right? And then they go, uh, all right, I went through a lot of money on these three Broadway shows. Let's find some cheaper entertainment. And that's where comedy clubs come in. You know, they decide, oh, let's see an original New York City comedy show, you know. And that, that prompts them to go to the village or, or, or to Times Square and, 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 and see uh, an off-Broadway show or our kind of show. So that business is very questionable right now for two reasons. One, have tourists from other parts of the country been scared off a lot? as to the crime that was occurring <clears throat> in New York was, and, you know, we're still hearing of it in New York, or are the New York hotels going to give some incredible discounts to sort of entice people to come out, you know, and, and say, you know, take the person that's always been on the fence. Ah, I don't want to go to New York. Wait a second. New York oh, my God, I can get a hotel room in New York for $89 a night? You know what? Screw it. For $89 a night, I'll take a chance, you know, and and see what I can. So my my, uh, thoughts on tourism are it's going to be very choppy in July and August, the big tourism season. I I hope it gets strong enough so that we can enjoy a, a really good, holiday season from Thanksgiving until, uh, until uh, you know, a week or two after New Year's. And then in 2022, get back into a regular cycle of business. I mean, that's my hope. Uh, I would, I, my hope is that hopefully we, we work out the rustiness kinks, we get people feeling positive about New York in time for our, the beginning of our really good season, which is October. I've almost written off the summer, to be honest wow. with you. But let's see, what, let's see what happens. I mean, without you, Broadway shows, and Broadway's indicating they won't open until at least September, you know, um, that, that, the, that would seem probably be realistic for us. Well, their model, does, their model doesn't work at reduced capacity. Like, if they don't sell enough seats, you know, they, they just simply, they, they don't make enough money. Like, the, the whole thing is broken. So, you know, like, the show that runs at 33% capacity is a show that closes, It was um, what somebody said. So, you know, but I hadn't, I hadn't thought about the connection between the two. But, of course, you're right. If somebody wants to come in for tourism, and, yeah, they want to go see Wicked, they want to go see Lion King, and then they also come to your club. So... I think the fact that baseball and sporting events are starting to open up in New York are good. But like I said, you know, what do people come to New York for? They want to they see the Statue of Liberty. They want to see 
the Empire State Building. They want to see uh, Wall Street. They want to see um, the theater district. Uh, you know, they want to go to theater shows. So I don't know what the status is of a tour of Madison Square Garden. The Yankees are operating, I think, at 20% capacity. So what Ooh. is the availability of tickets for that? So, you know, the, a lot of the reasons for a tourist to come to New York are very questionable right now. So the only way you can get people here is to offer like ridiculous discounts, you know, and New York has lost, a, a, Manhattan has lost a large amount of their hotels. So, you know, that's the other thing that drives business to the city. Uh, conventions. Do we have enough hotel space to remain a big convention biz, uh, area uh, uh, as far as New York goes? So it's a lot of questions. This you know, the damage that has been done to the economy of New York, uh, combined with the perception of crime in New York, is a devastating one-two punch. And I'm just hoping, I mean, my feeling and what I see pretty much the case is I think weekend business will be okay, but weekdays are going to be a real challenge. And for the first time ever, at some point, at some point, we might contemplate that opening a day or two a week. I don't know. I was just, you know? I was just gonna I was just gonna ask you. At what point do you? I mean, is it just when not enough people are coming? I mean, is it that straightforward? Do you say I'm not oh, going to yeah, do Mondays? Exactly. I'm not going to do Tuesdays or whatever? Yeah, but you know, there's some other complications involved in it. Like if you close on Monday and Tuesday, and your street team people who want to have a product to sell when they're out on the street, are they going to go sell for another club if oh. you're closed on that Monday or Tuesday? On the other hand, the reason I'm thinking about closing on Monday or Tuesday is they haven't sold that many tickets to begin with. So, right. you know, um, so that, you know, listen, if it's close, you know, you have to add up, okay, it costs a certain amount of money to bring in a waiter, a bus person and a manager and a box office person. Can I make more money opening minus the cost of product paying these people than closing? If it's a break-even, I'll continue to open. If I lose only a few bucks, I'll continue to open. If it's a significant difference, if it costs me X amount of dollars to open, but I'm only taking in X amount of dollars consistently on Monday and Tuesday, I might decide not to open anymore on those days. I don't know yet, which is right. unprecedented because we've always been a step from the day we opened. Broadway is operated seven nights a week. So it, it would have to be a not an easy decision to make. No, it's one of the cool things about the club. I mean, any, any night of the week, I've brought people there when they were at it, you know, friends in from out of town. It's like, it's you know, it's a Monday, but hey, there's a show. You know, we can find something right, to do. Right. It's not a big so, deal. There, there's a lot of questions. The, the landscape has changed in New York also. Some, clo some clubs have closed. Some might be on the verge of closing. Uh, some of them have reopened. But I, I really believe that they're on a month-to-month -month, uh, basis, a situation where the landlord might be looking for a better tenant. But until then, they'll keep this tenant, you know, just to, you know, have some revenue coming in. So 
it's a very very challenging environment and uh, not easy at all. Did you ever have that thought? Did you ever think that it was time to close? Well, you know, um, there there were times that I just felt that I really enjoyed the fact that I wasn't having to be responsible for anything. Hmm. Uh, I had no obligations. I didn't have to hear, you know, fights between waitstaff or fights between customers and waitstaff or neighbors bothering me about a line outside or or nasty Yelp reviews or staff not getting along with each other or producers not getting along with each other. And, you know, I realized, you know, how simplified my life it became the second we reopened, you know, and all that stuff again came into reality. I got a letter from a neighbor saying, we'd like to know your opening plan uh, and how you plan on dealing with lines outside and congestion in the And I'm saying, why do I need to explain anything to you? You know, I have to explain it. I have to have a staff meeting. I have to maybe submit plans to the city. But now I've got neighbors, like one across the street, one uh, uh, three doors down, asking me for my opening plan. Like, like what? What is that? You know. But so, how long have you been? Haven't you been there for how many years? <laughs> I mean, this is not, we've been this is in Broadway for seventeen years. It's not a new business. Seventeen? Huh? It's not a new business. Like it's not like you're. Right, and and for 17 years, our neighbors have been very annoying in terms of <laughs> complaining, complaining. You know, listen, how many times have you gone to a Broadway show a half hour before the show begins, and if there are five theaters on the block, it's virtually impossible to walk down that block unless you go out in the street and walk around around the lines of people waiting to get in Broadway shows. Always. Our neighbors seem to think that the entire block, uh, the entire block belongs to them. They think that you know when when you come down the block, you know they they shouldn't have to say excuse me to go around. There should be a clear path for them to walk down the street with absolutely nobody else having a right to that sidewalk. I mean that's the kind of insanity that you deal with when you have a business in New York. You try to work with your neighbors. You certainly want, don't want to have them have a bad quality of life, but sometimes it's impossible to accomplish that when you hear what their demands are, what they want you to do. I had a neighbor who stood outside my business and took pictures of the line waiting to go in before the show. Now, the only time there's a choke point at my club is when people come out of the club at let's say 8.30, and there is a small line or a line of people waiting to go in for the 9 o'clock show outside. We keep them behind stanchions. And you will have our neighbors taking pictures of that scene and try sending it to the community board. It has gotten to the point where I have my security people take a picture outside my club at 8 o'clock when there's nobody out there, maybe one or two people smoking a cigarette, 8 15, same thing, 8.30, maybe a small little line forming outside. And then by 8.35, we take a picture of the, the, the large scene outside. 
but by 8.50, we get the audience in the room. So you're talking maybe about 15 minutes a night that these neighbors might be uh, inconvenienced. And, you know, they, they make like it's the end of the world. Like, if you want peace and quiet, totally, move to the suburbs. What are you doing in right. Manhattan? Right, exactly, exactly. I mean, it's and, just... And you... What they don't understand these people are, the city of New York will not survive based on them because half, half these people either are paying rent-controlled rents, rent-stabilized rents, or they bought their condos and co-ops like 10 years ago. But the point, is, or the point I'm trying to make is the city don't make it on that. They're making, on, making their coin, and the state is making their coin on the fees that it costs me to renew my liquor license, my health department permit, the corporate taxes I pay, and the state sales tax that I pay, you know, uh, that I collect for the, for, for the city and state. Uh, and without businesses like mine that are clogging up the sidewalks for 15 or 20 minutes a night, uh, nobody's going to make it. The city ain't going to make it. They, 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 I mean, look at the economy for the city with Broadway shows closed. All the sidewalks are clear. You can walk down the block. You know, right. But, it's, nice. it's nice, but you're well, not making actually, any tax right, revenue. Well, yeah. Right, right. So, you know, so it's going to be a challenge now, especially that every sidewalk has got restaurants outside now. So how all this is going to be managed is not going to be easy, you know. So when you asked me the question, did I think about retiring? Yes, I did. Hmm. But my wife said to me, you know, Al, you're going to regret it. You're, you're, you're going to be sad um, that either, one, you didn't stick with it and rebuild the value of the business and then possibly sell it, or you're going to regret it that you didn't continue to operate it. So, you know, sometimes you have to listen to your spouse in a way because <laughs> they might be seeing it in a way you're not seeing it. You know, the easy thing for me would have been to just say, look, 31 years, I had a good run. I'm tired. I'm in my 60s now, early 60s. Maybe it's time to retire. Uh, but on the other hand, I knew economically it was the wrong thing to do because if I could spend the next year or two building the business, I didn't have options. I could say to my kids, you run it and just send me a check every month, or I just completely sell and completely enjoy a retirement. So Either way is better than just giving back the keys and getting nothing for thirty plus years of work. Right. No, that makes sense. That makes that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, you know, the circumstances yeah. were terrible, but I, I mean, we're all glad that you stayed because because the clubs are great and it's Thank a great you. place. To, it's a great place to perform. It's a great place to bring a guest, and uh, both you know both Greenwich and Broadway. Um, and I mean, it's exciting to have them back. Yeah, thank you. I mean, New York's had a major loss in the comedy. You know, uh, UCB went under, although they mm. were probably going to go under anyway. But the pit closed, UCB closed, the creek and the cave closed, Dangerfields closed. Uh, there's a very uh, unknown situation going on at the comic strip. On one hand, their property is being... Uh, marketed by real estate companies uh, that 
uh, I guess, looking for a tenant. But on the other hand, they reopened. So yeah, what's the what's the deal know, with that? That's a weird that's a weird one. Well, my guess is, as a businessman, if I had a look on the outside, and I don't, I'm not privy to their stuff. But you know, Richie Tinkin was the main proprietor there for many years, and I think he's probably the one that had the best connection to the landlord. Mm-hmm. And you know, they they the landlord right before the pandemic, the comic strip was hampered for a couple of years with that Second Avenue subway construction. Right. It really hit into them, and they lost their their Times Square street team who eventually went on to uh, take over New York Comedy Club. So that was a one-two punch that was very hard for them to recover, but I guess they had worked out a deal with their landlord. Then the pandemic hit. Um, Richie passed away, and I think the landlord had got to the point where they said, look, you know, uh, we need to start making money on this property, you know. So I think what they're doing is they're allowing the strip to stay there. My guess, total speculation. Right. I don't own the strip. I'm not privy to any of their inside workings. But as an outsider looking in, the combination of real estate companies marketing the space and the space still open tells me that the landlord is either saying, you know, shit will get off the pot, you know, start making some money and start paying me rent, or if I get a better tenant to take over this space, that's what we're going to do. Right. Interesting. Interesting. It's a, yeah, that, that one's a weird situation because it was definitely a little unclear what was going on. But it is too bad that we lost those, we lost those other clubs, um, you know, like Dangerfields and then uh, UCB, not a comedy club, but a performance space and also a place that people can go to learn. That was a that was something of a New York institution, you know. Yeah, it's really too bad. So the pit, yeah, not 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 meaning to exclude the pit. The pit that was a that was a real surprise to me just because of when it happened. It kind of felt like things were so close to reopening. So you know, when you look at the uh, the scene and how it was hit, major comedy clubs you lost Dangerfields, and the improv world got devastated with the loss of the pit and UCB. And then the alternative comedy scene took a big hit with the loss of the creek and the cave. So, sure. you know, these are major losses to New absolutely. York. No, absolutely. Right, we have a few minutes left. Um, I think if anyone's enjoying uh, all your stories now, they would probably enjoy your book. Let's just talk about that for a couple of minutes. Thank you. Yes, that would be great. So during the pandemic, I wrote a book uh, based on my 30 years plus in stand-up comedy. It's called Did It on a Dare, How I Built a Comedy Empire in 30 Short Years. It's uh, available on Amazon, and I hope to do some autograph signings when I get back. A lot of people have asked me about that. Oh, so I will be doing some live book uh, book uh, sales at the club, um, and I'll, I'll be announcing that on my social media and on my website. So Cool. Yeah, it's a great uh, read. It's, a really, is, uh, it's, a, really, it's a really great read. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Go ahead. Plug you. the social media. Yeah, my, my website is almartincomedyguru.com, which will also have the links to the book, all my clubs, uh, and my podcast that I do as well. Great. That's terrific. That's terrific. Um, all right. Well, so just real quick, take me. what's the first call you make 
when you hear things are reopening? Like, how do you, how do you, what's the, as a practical matter, how do you get things started? Well, number one, uh, we call, try to ascertain who's back in, who's not. Uh, we then have to contact, uh, you know, I, I basically sit down old school with a piece of paper and a pen, and I just start thinking from the second you walk in the door at the club, what are the different things that I need to start worrying about? One, uh, we had an exterminator coming in throughout, but now I needed to really do a huge extermination uh, in the place and disinfecting of the premises and an, a big deep clean. So those were calls one, two, and three, uh, a deep cleaning service, a disinfecting service, exterminator, then I had to get my staff in there to take inventory to see what we have and what we need. And so I would start ordering stuff. Um, we had to, you know, get the website up and going, social media up and going, um, book comics for shows, uh, reach out to all the independent producers and see who wants to start thinking about shows. Uh, set up an open mic schedule, uh, and then the most important thing in the COVID era is to redesign the rooms for the 33% capacity and uh, implement uh, COVID-era uh, protocols such as the microphone. How are we going to be handling the microphone? Um uh, condoms, uh, switching out microphones. Right now in our open mics, I don't even permit microphones to be used. There was a real bad outbreak in Brooklyn of COVID among comedians uh, because these places were not allowing um, uh, were not allowing uh, uh, were using sharing mics Oh, like no, not, not even mic condoms? Not even microphone condoms? You know what it is? Here's the problem. You have 20 open micers, right, or 25 open micers. It's really a pain to switch every, after every comic, the condoms, and put on another one. Um, and I couldn't trust that the people running the mics were going to want to do that, go up there mm. into each condom and change it. And it would get costly, too. It's not cheap, these condoms, you know I mean? So I had to make a decision somewhere, and I said, well, obviously you need the microphones for the regular shows. But, you know, for an open mic, a person could survive without a microphone, you know? Uh, right. There's only 15 people in the room if you're socially distancing. Project. So project. You got to project. Um, now we got about a mi- right. we got about a minute left. A minute left. What are the websites for the for the clubs? BroadwayComedyClub.com, GreenwichVillageComedyClub.com. BroadwayComedyClub.com. Yeah, www.BroadwayComedyClub.com, GreenwichVillageComedyClub.com uh, are the two main, and 53Above.com. Uh, for any of our music presentations, which we do upstairs in the red room. Terrific, terrific. And right now, right now, you got a show every night, and just check the website to see who's on and what time, uh, what time you can do it. And hopefully, there'll be late shows soon. Soon, soon enough. My hope is that we will have late shows. All right, Al. This was great. I hope you come back. 
And um, I hope I, I hope I run into you at the club. That would be terrific. And uh, everyone, buy Al's book. Go see his show. And above all, stay safe. Thanks so much for doing the show, Alex. Thank you, it. Brett. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now.